Sunday morning studying the book of Romans together. That's the final time you'll hear me say that. And uh, we come this morning to Romans chapter 16, verse 25. If you're with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, just flag one of the guys coming up the aisles with Bibles right now. I've got one into your hand marked for our passage today. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, please make that Bible a gift from the Lord to you this morning. Uh, Verse 25, Romans 16, Paul writes by the Spirit of God, Now to him uh, who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now has been made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures uh, has been made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. To God, alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love for us. And we thank you that your love is not just expressed uh, verbally uh, through your word, but we thank you for how we experience the fulfillment of your promises, your word, your encouragements, uh, your encouragement in our lives, uh, everything that uh, you speak to us and you are to us in the valleys of life and the mountaintops of, of life, everything in between. And we thank you for this time that we've been able to spend in the book of Romans, and we ask that you would fill us with your spirit now and give us a capacity to understand these final verses and the place they play in this entire amazing, amazing letter. And we pray for this work of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. With these verses, the Apostle Paul closes what is certainly the greatest treatise on the gospel or on salvation that has ever been written, uh, that has ever existed in in human history. Uh, A description, an explanation, elaboration upon, uh, teaching upon the, the gospel, God's offer of salvation to sinful man and uh, the offer of salvation based upon not our own works or who we are, what we are, uh, aren't, but based upon Jesus' death, His burial, and His resurrection uh, from the dead. I think it's good to just stop for a moment and pretend that we didn't just read these uh, three verses. And let's just say we don't know how Paul, uh, didn't know how Paul closed this letter up. And to kind of ask ourselves, you know, in terms of of this uh, benediction that that Paul closes here, uh, the the entire book with, and just to ask if if you were Paul, uh, how would you conclude a letter like this? And uh, what would you say? What would be, uh, in a a letter that's just really indescribable, what would you want to be the final thought that you would leave people with 
uh, knowing in, in some way the, the impact that this letter is going to have upon, upon individual people and upon, upon human history. And, and by the Holy Spirit, Paul concludes this letter with a strong encouragement in God's ability to establish us, that he will establish us all of the days of this life, that he will establish us all of the days of the life to come, and that this truth is so sure uh, that we can praise God for it now, as Paul does in verse 27. That word established that's used there in verse 25, which Paul uses to describe God as being able to establish us, it's a fascinating one uh, in the Greek and the, the language of the New Testament. It's terizo, and it comes from uh, a related Greek word that means to stand. The word established means literally to put or to place something firmly in a location. Uh, cause it to be fixed or uh, establish it in a place. It means to make stable, uh, place firmly, set fast, make firm. And that's an amazing word that Paul uses here. In other words, as Christians, God has brought a stability into our lives that we would never otherwise know. And just stop for a moment and think about that word, stability. Uh, think about how valuable stability is in life. Uh, to be anchored, uh, to be made stable in a world that is as fallen and as unstable as the one that we live in. Or to have something or someone be able to make our lives stable individually, to make them uh, established, fixed in place. And the entire world around us is unstable. The news reveals it to, in just the fresh marks of instability every single day at whatever time you watch the news or however uh, you get it. It's the latest update on the instability of the world. Life is unstable. And uh, worse yet, we are individually unstable. And it is no small thing uh, for God to make a human life stable in the midst of the sea of instability that is called life. And to have the stability that God brings into our life, it is invaluable. I don't even want to think about where I would be in life, who I would be in life, what I would be in life, apart from the stability that he has brought into my life. And I know you feel the same. The spiritual stability that he's brought into our lives. And then with it, mental stability, stability to my thinking and every other use of, of our minds emotional stability, stability in the expression of our feelings and of our emotions, of keeping them safe and well-directed toward myself and certainly toward others. Physical stability that's found in keeping my physical strength safe and well-directed. 
And when you stop and think, when it talks about, as Paul says, God is able to establish us, that word able is a, is a variation of the word dunamis that talks about the power of the Holy Spirit, the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. And you think about the, the dunamis that is required of God to produce stability in a human life, a stability in your life and in my life, again, that we would never otherwise know. You think about how many Christians there are in the world. I mean, there are, un are uncountable millions of Christians all around this world. And they come from every different kind of culture, every kind of life experience imaginable, every kind of history, every variation within the gene pool, experiencing every kind of temptation, whether it's pride or lust or uh, despair, possessing uh, every form of weakness that a person can uh, possess from the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, all of the broad diversities of personalities that are represented in the body of Christ, all of our natural tendencies. And yet, God is able to bring a stability into each of our lives that is greater than all of these differences, all of these challenges, and even more so. He's able to provide a stability that is greater than every form and power of instability that's in any of our lives. I think about the tormented demoniac who was possessed by uh, a legion of demons. We don't know how many a legion, a Roman legion was five to six thousand soldiers. He was a, a walking demonic stronghold. And, uh, and Jesus cast the demons out of him into a herd uh, of swine. And then when the people from the neighboring city came to see this man and the miracle uh, that God, uh, Jesus, had done in his life, they found him seated, clothed, and in his right mind. Nobody knows how long it had been since he had uh, been seated and clothed and in his right mind. And Jesus had done it. And this morning, here I think for many of us, you would say amen in your heart. Uh, we are seated, clothed, and in our right minds solely because of the stability, the establishing power of God at work in our lives, the stability that He has brought into our lives. Now, you notice that Paul doesn't stop there. But in this benediction, this closing, he then goes on to identify the means by which God introduces this stability into our lives or in any human life. Uh, the means that he uses to introduce and maintain the stability in our lives. And he mentions five things. The first thing he mentions in verse 25 is the gospel. And when Paul calls it my gospel, he refers to it as his gospel, not because it has any origin in him, but because it was the gospel that he preached. And the gospel is the good news, as we mentioned earlier, the good news of God's offer of salvation to mankind founded upon the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that salvation is then received by faith by putting my trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my 
uh, sins. And when we do this, the greatest miracle that any human being will ever experience in their life occurs. And that is, as you've heard me say many times, God Almighty, in the person of the Holy Spirit, comes into our lives individually, and we're born again by that Holy Spirit. And a whole new nature has been imparted to us. And now as a result of this spiritual birth, we have the capacity for a relationship with God. And Jesus declared uh, to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he said, Verily, verily, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so if you sit here this morning and you are not yet a Christian, and your life is falling apart, you're losing your mind, your emotions are dominated by lust or by hate or by uh, fear, or you're dominated by sin, uh, your uh, heart, mind, soul, and strength are failing you, you become unstable, you know it, you know it before anybody else knows it. You just simply go wherever uh, life pulls you, and life has become too big for you. Pain, disappointment in life. Uh, everybody becomes a casualty of life, independent of God, because he's the only one that can work uh, what would make us a casualty together for good in our lives. And if you sit in that kind of a place, this is where you begin. And this is how God's establishing influence is introduced into your life. And that is by being born again, by turning away from my sin. Repentance is what it's called. Turning to Jesus Christ, putting my faith in him, and uh, receiving this spiritual birth into, into my life. I think about how many of you, just in the privacy of your own heart, how many of you, can testify to the fact that being born again changes everything uh, in a person's life, that it brought a new stability into your life that you never knew before. Uh, it didn't bring an end to the problems that we have in life, but we realize that in the midst of these problems, a supernatural dynamic has been added to my life that I've never known before. And in, the, in, the, in being born again. And I think what Paul is trying to do here in the, in the end of this letter here is to cause us to just stop and think about these things that, that we operate from as Christians, wonderfully unconscious of so often, day in and day out, and to remember what these things and the impact that they've had within our lives and to quietly, in, in our own heart right now, to say, as Paul does in his own way here, to thank God for the gospel and how he has used it to change our lives, to say nothing of, of our eternity, to be indwelt by God, to have our sins forgiven, to have uh, our eternity in heaven secured, and to think about what stability has been brought to heart, mind, soul, and strength on the basis of the gospel alone. It's a marvel. But Paul goes on in verse 25, and he speaks of according to the preaching of Jesus Christ. And Bible students are divided concerning whether Paul is referring here to 
Christ's preaching in general or to the preaching concerning uh, Christ. And the language allows for both interpretations. And, and Paul may very well intend uh, both. But certainly, the gospel cannot be preached without also preaching Jesus Christ. He's the foundation of the gospel. He is the source of the gospel. There would be no gospel uh, without him. And it is certainly true that Jesus' teaching was consistent with the gospel. His teaching is the foundation for the gospel. Jesus said again to Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then most famously of all verses in the Bible, to that same Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And it is also true that this could be referring to the content of Jesus' preaching and teaching in general. And it is certainly true that after being born again, by receiving the gospel, that the next greatest means by which spiritual stability is introduced into our lives by God, that it occurs as we make Jesus our supreme example in everything, and as we make his teaching the standard for our doctrine and our practice our standard for what we believe and how we live. In other words, it is important that he be not only our Savior, but we also give him the place of being our Lord, as we've sung about even here this morning. One of my uh, favorite sayings of Jesus in this regard is when Jesus declared, Luke chapter 7, verse 35, he declared to the Jewish religious leaders of his day uh, that were rejecting his teaching and his wisdom. He said, but wisdom is justified by all her children. In other words, the ultimate test of wisdom is what is the quality of human being that is produced by that wisdom? What is the quality of stability that is introduced into a human being by virtue of that wisdom? Wisdom, Jesus says, is justified by the type of person it produces. And true wisdom earns the right to be called wisdom on the basis of the quality of person it produces. Wisdom is not wisdom because it declares itself to be wisdom. And wisdom is not wisdom by decree. It is not wisdom simply because someone stands up and declares uh, it to be uh, wisdom. Wisdom must earn the right to be called wisdom in any thinking culture or society. And wisdom is not wisdom if it produces unholy people, if it produces unstable people if it produces sin-enslaved people, or covetous people, or materialistic people, or sexually immoral people, or self-destructive people, 
or superstitious people, or hypocritical people, or proud people, or selfish, self-dominated people, or violent people, or hopeless people, or unstable people. And even if every person in the world, like in the time of Noah, only eight people uh, believed God, if the entire world rises up and, and declares uh, uh, something to be wisdom that it, it produces this kind of result in, in effect in people's lives, it is not wisdom. And you look all over the world, across all of the broad diversity of human beings in the world, and you look at the kind of person that just a simple obedience to Jesus' teaching produces. And it produces a beautiful life. It produces a peaceful life, a Christ-like life. And, because, and the reason that that happens is because as a person lives a life in alignment with the Bible. We are not merely living life as God has intended it, in right relationship with God, but we're now living life in right relationship with our fellow man. We're living uh, in right relationship with all of uh, creation as a result. Jesus lived the most stable life that has ever been lived. And we experience a, a wonderful measure of that stability as we simply make him and his teaching the supreme example in our life, the supreme source of wisdom uh, within our life as we make him the Lord of our life. And then you notice third in verses 25 and 26, Paul declares uh, that this stability is according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the, day the world began but now has been made manifest. The gospel is a revelation of a mystery. And what is this mystery that Paul is speaking of? Uh, he is doubtless speaking of the mystery that he mentions repeatedly in his letters and how it is that God would not only offer salvation freely and equally to all people, Jew and Gentile alike, but that further upon being saved, he would then unite Jew and Gentile alike, unite the broadest cross-section of mankind into one body, into one church, and that he would bring us into a worship of God and a fellowship with one another that we would never know otherwise that could not be accomplished in any other way than out of our mutual love for Jesus and our love for one another as a result. And Paul wrote all about this continually. He wrote about it in, in his most concentrated form in, in the, his letter to the church at Ephesus in chapter 3. This is no small thing and given the general hostility of, in Jesus' day, of the Jews towards the Gentiles, and then correspondingly the Gentiles toward uh, the, the Jews, the hostility that was there. And you stop and think about what a miracle it is that the gospel has brought the broadest diversity of mankind into fellowship with God. 
But then He has brought us into the deepest fellowship human beings can know with one another. And that is a fellowship that is produced by the Holy Spirit dwelling within each of us. And surely God uses this fellowship that we have with one another in the body uh, of Christ as Christians. He uses this fellowship that we have with one another to bring stability to our lives as we receive love and encouragement and acceptance that is found in the body of Christ, in the church, as we develop strong and deep and meaningful and needed relationships with, with other Christians, as iron sharpens iron, even when that fellowship that we have with one another can sometimes turn into rebuke or exhortation, but it still produces a stability within, within our lives. And you just stop. Stop and think about your life personally and just stop and think about what each and every one of us owes to God's use of other Christians in our lives in keeping us strong and stable through seasons of spiritual warfare, seasons of uh, heartbreaking loss within our lives, uh, deep, deep trials, failure in our own lives, discouragement. And I think of what just the presence uh, of others, week in and week out at a church, can mean to us spiritually, though they may never say anything to us. You just stop and think about the stability that God has brought into your life by virtue, my life as well, by virtue of being a member of the body of Christ. Think of the conversations. Think of the phone calls. Think of the relationships. Think of the cards. Think of the letters. Think of the interaction with other Christians at just the right moment where we in all of our brokenness and in all of our fallenness and all of our fragileness were about to go sideways and somebody came alongside us with a hug or somebody came alongside of us with even a rebuke or a, a, some reminder from the Word of God. And how He uses this thing called the body of Christ to continually produce stability within our lives. And it's no wonder that the writer of the book of Hebrews wrote, he said, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day, that is the day of Jesus' return approaching. And then fourth, the Apostle Paul in verse 26 makes mention of the witness of the prophetic scriptures to uh, all of this according uh, to the commandment of uh, the everlasting God. And he speaks now of these prophetic scriptures, these Old Testament scriptures uh, that prophesied of Jesus as Messiah and as the Savior prophesied of the gospel, that salvation is not on the basis of works, but it is received uh, by faith. 
the prophetic scriptures that declared that uh, Jews and Gentiles would be united in their worship of the Messiah, united in their worship of Jesus, and, and uh, of the place that the prophetic scriptures uh, play in our spiritual stability, the apostle Peter adds his voice to the voice of, of Paul here. In Second Peter chapter 1, allow me to read three verses to you. Four. He said, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent uh, glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard speaking about his Mount of Transfiguration experience with uh, James and John, and when we were with him on that holy mount. And then Peter declares, and we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well to take heed as unto a light that shines in a dark place until the day come and the day star arise in your heart. And here you have the Apostle Peter talking about when things get difficult in life, when things get hard in life, when there is an attack of whether a, a demonic attack or whatever the attack might be uh, upon our faith, or some circumstance comes into our life and it shakes us and it makes us uh, wonder about what it is that we believe in. And Peter comes along and he could have very well said with James and John, listen, whenever I get in a pinch like that, whenever that kind of instability gets introduced into my life, spiritually speaking, I always go back to when I was on the Mount of Transfiguration and saw Jesus transformed into his glory and then heard the Father say to him, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Well, we would say, hooray for Peter. But there were only three of them up there. What do, good does that do me? But Peter said, when I hit these kind of problems in life, I don't go back to my experience, my history with Jesus even, as wonderful as that is. He said, what is the rock of my faith is the witness of the prophetic scriptures. What God said about Jesus who was to come about salvation that was to come, founded in the Old Testament uh, Scriptures, something that can never change, something that never uh, moves. And here Peter is talking about the spiritual stability that comes with knowing that our salvation is based upon the surest thing in existence, certainly something more sure than our minds or our emotions, and that is the very Word of God, the very promises of, of God. And Paul, writing to Titus in his first chapter of his letter to Titus, he described God as the God who cannot lie. Paul didn't say that God is the God who will not lie. Now, he will not lie, but what he says is something stronger, that God cannot lie. God is incapable of lying. And here is this stability that is brought into our life based upon uh, the prophetic element of the Word of God, that what God has promised, what God has said, all of it has been fulfilled. 
And so it will be concerning every promise within our lives, the witness of the prophetic scriptures and the stability that they bring to us in the course of our pilgrimage. And then finally, in verse 26, Paul declares, all of this gospel uh, uh, has been provided to us for obedience to the faith. In other words, faith in the gospel, faith in Jesus Christ, and the resultant spiritual birth that comes uh, out of, of that uh, not only provides us with the forgiveness of sins, but it now provides us with the power to live a life of obedience to God's commandments. How dismal would it be if the salvation that God provided to us in mankind only provided for the forgiveness of sins. And yes, day in and day out, we would be forgiven of the sins that we commit and we would confess them to God and we would ask for His forgiveness and we would receive it. But if that gospel did not also include the power to now live a different kind of life, as Paul brings out in, in this epistle to the Romans, speaking about the fact that God's grace is demonstrated not only in the forgiveness of sins, but in probably the most overlooked element of His grace in our culture today, and that is that He gives us now the power to live an entirely different kind of life. That He provides us both the will to do, the desire to do, and then the power to do of God's good pleasure. To live a life that brings pleasure uh, to uh, God. I'll tell you, if He only offered the forgiveness, we'd take it because beggars can't be choosers. But God has done the far uh, greater thing and that He has given us commandments. And then with those commandments has given us a desire to obey those commandments in order to glorify God. And then uh, the power to keep those uh, commandments. The gospel, again, not only providing us with that, that forgiveness, but with that power and that will. A true faith in Jesus Christ, I mean being f truly born again, will result in a life that is lived in obedience to God's commandments. Not being perfect, none of us will be perfect at all until we're in heaven, but certainly not remaining the, the people that we, we once were. And on this subject of stability, I think that after our spiritual birth and, and after the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in, in our lives as a result of that spiritual birth, that there is hardly anything else that produces greater stability in our lives than living our Christian lives in a simple obedience to God's Word. And for me, one of the, the greatest evidences for the divine inspiration of the Word of God, and there are many, many evidences for it, is the kind of human being that is produced through just a simple obedience to that Word, and including a stability that is introduced into our lives with every act of obedience that we would never know otherwise. And that's why obeying God's Word is not a burden. It's not a, a, a chore or, or a grind. It's a privilege. 
John wrote, the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 5, and he said, And his commandments are not burdensome. For by this we know that, the love, uh, that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. You know what's burdensome? You know what's a drag? It's to live in disobedience to God's commandments. That's the tough life. That's the hard life. I mean, anytime we hit this place, we're like, this is hard. Always remember, there's something harder. And that's to disobey Him. And, uh, and the life that, that unfolds in, in all of that. And do you just stop and think this morning with me. Think about the destructiveness and the disaster in life that just simply obeying the Word of God protects us from. But it will do today. Think about the quality of life that it produces, the beauty that it leads us into. I mean, the, the depth of personal relationship that we have with, with Jesus that occurs as a result of it, and then, and then how He reveals Himself to us in a greater measure as we just simply uh, obey Him. Jesus said in John chapter 14, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And then here it is. And I will love him and manifest or reveal myself to him. And this uh, Jesus revealing himself to us as we just simply obey his word and then discover the stability that is found in that. Imagine... And some of us don't have to imagine this. Uh, But imagine uh, not being a Christian. Imagine waking up every single morning, rolling out of bed, and now for the rest of the day, you have to define for yourself what is right and wrong in life and what is good and bad in life. Imagine rolling out of bed and then uh, relationship by relationship, decision by decision, having no fixed place in your life to know that this is the way to handle that relationship. This is the way to handle that fork in the road. This is the way to handle this particular circumstance in life. Imagine that all of that was unwritten, that none of that was built into your life from the Word of God. What chaos life would be. What an unstable human life would result as a result of it. If all of this, all of this that the Bible uh, defines for us in His commandments, if all of that is just simply in play, and we are to define it for ourselves day by day, individually, among the seven billion people in the world. You want to see instability. Not just in a human life, but in the world. And so you see it, the the greater the number of people that move away from God's commandments and from God Himself. We see it play out. Know what an amazing, amazing thing it is to be able to wake up each day. And I mean before our first thought for coffee or tea or whatever it might be. All of that is settled. All of that is settled. 
what to do, what to say, what not to do, what not to say. In all of the various circumstances in life, it's settled. I don't have to discover it. I don't have to make it up. I just have to remember what has God said and then do that. And then there's that stability that is brought in our lives as a result, as opposed to becoming a casualty of our own wisdom. And then Paul closes all of this in verse 27 with his doxology, his praise to God. And he declares there, to God alone wise. I've never met anybody wise like God is wise. He said, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. And so it shall be. And he says, amen, so be it. Uh, that is the truth, which is what amen means. And as Paul thinks about all of this, the establishment, the stability, that the gospel and its offer of salvation had brought into his life, as he thought about what the teaching and the example of Jesus brought into his life, the stability, as he thought about the blessings of becoming a part of something bigger than ourselves, becoming a part of this living thing called the body of Christ, becoming a part of the most intercon supernaturally interconnected family in the whole world by the Holy Spirit, and the stability that being a part of the body of Christ brought to his life. And as he thought about the witness of the word of the prophetic scriptures to all that he believed, and as he thought about the privilege of obeying God's truth, he bursts out in praise to glorify God for having provided all of that to us in his Son, in Jesus. Think about who or what or where you would be today if God had not brought all of these stabilizing influences into your life, these stabilizing realities when we became Christians. And what if God were to supply each of us? I mean, that we could just, however many people we've got in the room here today, and we said, we're going to hold you now for another hour and a half or so. And, uh, and what God has done is he has supplied uh, us with a picture of each of us of what we would be and who we would be and where we would be today apart from these realities within our lives. I tell you, I don't want to look at the picture. It would hurt too much. I wouldn't want anybody else to see that picture. And to just stop and, and think about how wonderful it is and how the, the impact and the difference that all of this has made. And so we come to the end of our journey through the book of Romans and uh, I will never ever, by God's grace, I will never ever praise people for studying God's Word. I'll never do it. It is our privilege to study His Word. And what people think and whether they will uh, endure sound doctrine or not endure sound doctrine or what, I, that's everybody's individual place. But I think it, 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 it introduces weakness and it re introduces a destructive attitude within our hearts 
if we ever think that we've done God a favor by studying His Word together. Not as always our privilege to, to do that. But I am aware that to study a book of the Bible that is, is theologically deep and is theologically dense and, and uh, demanding, uh, as the book of Romans is, that uh, studying it can be a stretch uh, for some of you who are a little more uh, uh, devotional in, uh, in your, your preference. And so I commend you for working at having these things built into your life, these wonderful living eternal truths that are found here concerning the gospel uh, in, into your life. Someone might even say, well, you know, here we are at the end of, it's, this is sermon number 60 going through the book of Romans and, uh, and uh, say, you know, if I were to stop and think, I mean, in terms of the book of Romans and studying, I couldn't even tell you one sermon that you preach in the course of the 60. I've always liked an illustration I heard years ago in this regard. It goes like this. A churchgoer uh, wrote a letter to the editor of a newspaper and complained that it made no sense to go to church every Sunday. I've gone to church 30 years now, he wrote, and in that time I've heard something like 3,000 sermons, but for the life of me I can't remember a single one of them. So I think I'm wasting my time and the pastors are wasting theirs by giving sermons at all. Well, this started a real controversy in the letters to the editor uh, column of the newspaper. And, um, of course, much to the delight of, of the editor, went on uh, the back and forth of the letters to the editor for uh, several weeks until uh, someone wrote this clincher. He wrote, I've been married for 30 years now. And in that, my t in that time, my wife has cooked some 32,000 meals. But for the life of me, I cannot recall the entire menu for a single one of those meals. But I do know this. They all nourished me, and they gave me strength I needed to do my work. If my wife had not given me those meals, I would be physically dead today. And likewise, if I had not gone to church for nourishment, I'd be spiritually dead today as well. And I trust that our time in the book of Romans has been uh, a wonderful time. It is, the Word is alive and powerful, and it does not return void. And it is all in there somewhere for God to bring to our remembrance and to draw us closer to Him. If you sit here this morning and you are not yet a Christian, God will bring all of this stability that we have been talking about today, stability that He knows that you need. Uh, he'll bring all of this into your life as well. And the greatest thing that can happen is for you to be forgiven of your sins and to be able to entrust your past uh, to Him and uh, come out from under the condemnation of your sin and then to be born again and enter into a relationship with God, the relationship that you have been created for. But all of these things await you. I simply, and, and you need all of these things desperately. And God knows it. And He's provided them in His Son. And if you'd like to put your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation this morning, there'll be pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after the service. 
And they'd love to pray with you to begin that relationship with God today and then instantly have an amazing multifaceted dynamic introduced into your life and not the least of which is the stability that we've been talking about today in your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. If you need prayer for anything this morning, anybody here today, they'd love to pray with you and for you as well. Water baptism tonight at 6 o'clock. Look forward to seeing you. Let's stand together now. We'll close in prayer. Fathers, we've gone through the book of Romans and we thank you for this church in Rome. We thank you for inspiring Paul to write this book. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 8, all the way through, Lord. And the riches that is found there. And thank you for being with us as we have explored these things and learned them as a congregation. And Lord, we thank you so much for this devotional aspect that Paul closes this book of dense theology on. And so often we can look at these things and they seem like just theology, just doctrine, just something that is about God and about His ways. And then forget, Lord, the impact that all of these things have upon our lives on a daily basis and the stability and the wonder and the beauty and the joy and the peace and the life and the joy and all that has been brought into our lives because of your Son and because of this gospel. And we thank you for, for providing it to us, Lord. And a time to close this book this morning by meditating upon even scratching the surface in some small way, but to look upon what it is that all of this has brought into our lives. And we bless you as the only wise God. And we give you praise and thanks and glory today for this gospel, for providing it, the sacrifice that was involved out of your love for us. And we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.